The Catholic Channel Sirius XM 129 presents Just Love with your host, Monsignor Kevin Sullivan, Executive Director of Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of New York. Welcome to Just Love. This is our weekly conversation about what's going on in the world. We are drawing to the end of Advent and we are at Christmas time, time that is incredibly joyous, a time that is incredibly glorious. What better time is there to love God, love your neighbor, love yourself than Christmas? Christmas is this most blessed time. You know, the last week we spoke with somebody, you know, who had prepared, who had done a Christmas song about angels crying in Bethlehem. And so this Christmas, while it is a time of joy, and let's not let that joy dissipate too much, it certainly is in the context of a world in which there many are crying, many children are crying, and there's a lot going on that is somber, that kind of dulls a little bit the brightness of that, or dulls a lot, the brightness of the Christmas star. So I'm really kind of pleased that this week um, we are going back to one of those parts of the world which experienced a, a disaster, uh, Hawaii, to see what's going on there this Christmas in Hawaii in light of uh, the fact that they did have a devastating wildfire. And so I'm delighted that we have back as our guest uh, now, Rob Van Tassel, and we also have um, Michael uh, Sebeas, a resident in that area. So, um, Rob, I am glad that you are joining us uh, again, and Miguel, thank you for joining us. So, um, let me ask you guys, how was Thanksgiving? Miguel? Miguel, oh, Miguel you're, you're muted. <laughs> Sorry, guys. No uh, problem, Miguel. How was Thanksgiving? Um, it was quite nice, actually. It was really nice to be able to be with the family and kind of get the holidays back into it. Um, it's unfortunately been um, still pretty tough as a community. Um, just kind of, you know, some people are having a really rough time, you know, just making that connection, being in um short-term hotels or homes uh, but um, for me it was it was nice it's a good way you know take a second step back from everything so um rob could i know you you're living with this day in and day out and you've been living with this for the for the past number of months our listeners are not and i know they probably remember your uh your being on the show but could you just give our listeners a little bit of an overview remind us what happened how many houses were destroyed what was a little bit of the the timeline are people back in their houses just give us a little bit of of an overview if you could rob well sure you're very generous to say that i live with it day to day but yeah. thank you for having us here um I only live through it day by day through folks like Miguel and the people that are there. Um, I am over on Oahu, and though I see Maui almost every day across the water, and my hearts and prayers are with them, um, they're the ones that are dealing with this on a daily basis. But for us at Catholic Charities and for the support system here, the Catholic collaboration we call ourselves here, working together, um, you know, it's been it's been quite a struggle. But to remind everybody about what that day was like, um, it came very, very fast, um, very unexpected. Um, strong winds come through here quite a bit during hurricane season, and fires are not uncommon, um, especially in the areas of, of the west side of the islands where like Miguel and, and his community live. But to have that combination come together in the way that it did and basically flames instead of going up blowing sideways because of the strength and traveling as fast as they did um it whole whole towns were wiped out and families and uh loved ones and um you know there's uh 
there's a memorial there on the on the highway that uh, Miguel probably drives by quite a bit on the bypass. And, uh, you know, to see those crosses there to remind us, um, everybody here in Hawaii still thinks about the folks on Maui, I would say, pretty much every day. Mm. We've shifted to be cognizant of and respect their need and their right and um, their expectation to design their community now the way they want to. So we're very uh, sensitive to that. But we've moved things to Maui where we can and where it's appropriate. I've talked to several friends who've gone up to pop-up type of Christmas shopping events that are over there, being respectful of Lahaina, pretty much um, you know, leaving that area sacred. But the rest of Maui, being able to travel there, spend some time there, um, I think that's important for the tourists to be able to do um, from time to time. But it's, uh, you know, I'll let Miguel speak to that as to how he and, and his uh, community feel about it. But that's kind of what we're doing now. Again, to set a little bit of the, the you know, the overall context for our, for our listeners, how much loss of life was there in in? I believe, Miguel, is it still at 100 lives that's been um, identified? Is that correct? Yeah. <clears throat> yes, it's fluctuated. The numbers fluctuated from 115 to 98. Right. But uh, that's official. That's yeah. official. Yeah. And, uh, there's definitely and how, more. And how many houses were lost? Uh, we're looking at about 2,200 buildings. Oh. Um, yeah, homes quite a lot. The majority were homes. Oh. And, um, yeah, about you know, a lot of people, I'm sorry, go ahead. Rob. No, go ahead. Or, oh, yeah. A lot of people uh, don't realize that our homes here were basically put together of three families or, you know, we have Ohana's, we have multi-level, multi-generational homes. So you think of one building, we're thinking of three or four families. Right. Right. And so to give again, give us a little bit. So if let's say 2,200 buildings were destroyed, many of them were, um, you know, were, were houses that were destroyed, you may have 5,000 families that didn't have homes, right? Easily, yes. And so yes. where are they now? Um. You know, a lot of them in the beginning were pushed into hotel rooms, Airbnbs. Mm. Um, we actually got a lot of help. Even like myself got help right away through Catholic Charities, getting right into a, a unit uh, through Rob. Um, so we definitely got a lot of movement in that sense. But over time, a lot of the Airbnbs have reverted back from signing contracts with the Red Cross to now renting out to tourism to tourists right. which has actually really choked out a lot of families from the west side meaning the kids that go to their schools around their peers that have gone through this are now being pushed out to the other side or sadly leaving and that's the tough time that i have this past week is that families that i've known that have told me they're not leaving have literally thrown up the white flag and we're seeing our community literally disappearing mm. and miguel would that be because they have no place to live yes you know we already started off with um, a housing crisis mm. um we're talking not only about the astronomical prices of rent but also the availability of where to rent and that's why we saw a lot of families building building up you know a, a temporary rooms to you know, house one another. So you have those families, you know, all together bunched into one home, you know. Um, so it's it's all the more prevalent and mm. it's it's really difficult. We've seen prices of rent skyrocket up to 30%, if not 45% since the fire, because mm -hmm. we have a lot of people that own their uh, second homes and, um, you know, looking to profit from the supply and demand. And what, you know, again, uh, given what, when people rent, since there might be two family homes, they're not high rises, they're renting like part of a part of a home, right? Yes. No, I, for instance, I have a really close friend that in the past two months, he turned his whole garage into a, a studio unit. Wow. Um, 
just so he could house someone. Right. We're seeing um, other people coming together, trying to build tiny homes on trailers just so they can move around if something happens and they need to. Right. Um, but these are not, you know, unfortunately they're not up to code. They're, you know, they're put up pretty fast just to keep people from living in their cars or becoming completely homeless. Yeah. So how, I mean, again, to give our listeners a sense, you said 2,200 buildings were were destroyed. Would that have been 25% of the buildings in the community, 50%, 10? How much of the community was destroyed? I, I believe it was like, I want to say 60 to 70% of the wow. overall homes. Yes. Um, and yeah, definitely, it wasn't just a single family of three. Right. You know, we um, hmm. over the over the time, you know, we still are getting news from friends and family that we're finally starting to run into. And you know, one of the one of the hardest one that I had to kind of take in was we had a friend that lost nine family members in one home. Oh, you oh. know, and and that's so unfortunate that we've come to that point here in Lahaina because of the housing crisis and then you know we even had reports I think it was about even four years ago it was like one out of every seven homes was a permanent resident home wow you know so we, right. we're definitely trying to find solutions here but unfortunately um, they're not fast enough for the demand we're in yeah. due to the fire well you know in a, in a very different way uh and a little bit of a different scale in a very different environment. It's somewhat of a situation we're in New York where we have had, now it's a different scale, but we've had over 140 new immigrants, many asylum seekers come to New York over the past 15 months or 18 months. And without them, there was a struggle for people to find affordable housing. So that has just put extra pressure on the limited scale uh, or the limited supply of public uh, housing. So it, it it's a crisis, whether you're in New York or a crisis, whether you're in uh, Lahaina. Yeah, and that's, that's the tough part here, being on an island, is that when the people leave, they don't drive from the other time to come to work. Yeah. So we're already seeing the collapse to just the economy because of the loss of workers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, again, very different. We're on an island too, Miguel. <laughs> different island. That's true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> With bridges and ferry boats. Right, yeah, yeah. right, right. Uh, We're 3,000 miles from the nearest airport. <laughs> right. Uh, the, so Rob, okay, in light of that, all of this, um, you know, Catholic Charities, we do our work day in and day out throughout the year. But at Christmas, we try to do a little bit special and a little bit extra. Tell us some of the the things that Catholic Charities in Hawaii is doing a little bit special this Christmas, whether it relates to Lahaina or in other parts of, of the sure. state. Sure. Well, hopefully I'm going to see Miguel on Saturday where we're gonna do a helpers and heroes event, which is first responders pairing up with kids to go shopping in Target. So wow. uh, we've already done that on the big island and uh, it went, it was just a huge success. So um, it's a wonderful opportunity for children to have a great experience too with a first responder who hopefully they never have to have that encounter, but if they do, they've got something familiar to draw on. Plus obviously the benefit of a gift and all. So that's a wonderful program. But, you know, we also have senior programs here on Oahu. So I was at an event that's a really big event and hardly any elected official wants to miss it. So it's my one opportunity to sit next to the governor and, <laughs> and talk to him about things. But it's wonderful. Uh, we filled up one of the largest ballrooms in one of the larger hotels here with almost a thousand seniors. And the amazing thing is um, they they do well here. You know, Okinawa women um all are around 100 years old <laughs> so <laughs> the, i would say the average age of that room was probably somewhere around 90 and very vibrant the day before 
I was around, um, we went to Marion Old School, so I was around a bunch of uh, of kids, you know, uh, first graders through about eighth graders. And they had so much energy just watching them running around this gym and doing all the different activities that were set up for them. And then I get in that room with these seniors and I'm like, oh my gosh, they've got as much energy. It was, ah. it was great. So that was a lot of fun. Um, you know, of course, we have our office Christmas party at, uh, I tried to grow a bit of a beard, but not as good as yours, Theramon Sr., but uh, yeah, but you I got, more, you got more hair. I got to get in close. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I did do, I went around and played Santa Claus and we do, you know, different things like that to uh, pick up the, the spirits and celebrate the, the season. We had a mass with Bishop yesterday. Uh, that was fantastic. And it was just, it, it's been, a, it's been here, but you know, that we're always thinking about Lahaina and I can tell you, you know, during all of the prayers and whatnot that we do um, for that recovery, for the families there, uh, for the healing to begin, um, for the resources to keep coming in. And, you know, your listeners, uh, they've responded really well throughout the country. People have done really well and have continued to, to support us in the work that we're doing. And, so I know I made a promise to Miguel the very first uh, time I met him within 10 minutes. You know, he said, I don't want us to be the disaster flavor of the month. And uh, mm -hmm. this is so thank you for helping me continue to make that promise to Miguel and to the community there, because I think there's wonderful things that can come about. And as we plan for, you know, how the church liturgical season that we're planning for now and thinking about is Lent. And as we think about all of the symbolism there hey, Rob, and the stop, opportunity stop, to stop, celebrate. Stop, 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 No, I haven't gotten past Christmas. I want a little bit of glory <laughs> before I got to go back to the sacrifice stuff. I want the present. <laughs> so you're, you're just far too ascetical for me. Well, we, yeah, again, thank you for the opportunity to be here at, uh, our website is uh, catholiccharitieshawaii.org, and you can support um, families like Miguel's and others there. That um, It's going to be a long haul. I think one of the things we didn't answer was your question about the rebuild time. Right. It could, it could take three years to just get the dirt ready, just to get all of the toxins out, get yeah. the infrastructure placed, because um, water lines and sewer lines and all of that were um, are gone or obliterated yeah. as well. So. Yeah getting all of that infrastructure back in place, sorting out the land ownership. 60% of the people are renters. Right. 40% uh, of those are living in multi-family in a single family home. So wow. it's uh, it's going to be a while to rebuild and, and get it all set up. Wow. And, and you had 2,200 buildings destroyed, most of them residential buildings. That's a lot of rebuilding to do. And, and it's a lot, you know, as you talked about the toxic, you know, nothing gets done quickly. It always takes a long time. You know, let me ask a little bit of a broader philosophical, not philosophical, but um, for a variety of reasons here in New York, um, we, we're impacted in different ways by different international crises. What is, so this is just curious on my part. How is the, the awful tragedy, the terror, the, the massacre, the killing, the humanitarian crisis in the Middle East, Palestine, Gaza, Israel, is that, is that much on the minds of people in Hawaii? Very much so. Um, coming out of the disaster and that we've had, we now have an understanding of being able to relate to someone that is going through something so terrifying abruptly that you didn't know was coming to completely know your life has been taken away in a new, in a horrible way. We, you know, we definitely talk about it. You know, at first it was like, wow, you know, it's what we went through was nothing. So we had that kind of a remorse, that feeling. Um, but then it, it also just allowed us to kind of connect with them. And that's one thing that we've talked about in the past is that, you know, we, we would look at these disasters around the world 
and go, wow, that's really tough. That's hard. What can we do to help them? But never to the understanding the full extent of the mind and being until we are actually in it. So we even got to the point where we're actually praying. You know, I, I myself was praying for the people I saw on TV when Maria hit Puerto Rico. And I was, now I go back, I'm hoping, okay, you know, God's outside of time. Maybe these prayers go up to him right now for that gentleman that I did think I understood, but now I understand him all more. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you, Miguel. That is, uh, you know, every region kind of deals with things differently. The impact of on us in New York is very, very um, intense because... There is such a large Jewish community in New York. So that pain and that suffering is very palpable. And because there have been a lot of protests, a lot of rallies. And so we've had some. So it's very, very intense for us here in New York, even though it still is uh, thousands of mile, miles away. So I was just interested to know um, kind of how it was playing out in your so Miguel thank you for sharing that sharing that with me um so listen thank you so much for being with us. any one final thing Miguel or Rob that you'd like to leave with our listeners before I let you go um I just want to add you know a little bit on Rob's you know yeah. uh, thing about how Catholic charities has been helping a lot you know especially you just want to be really thankful for everybody that has helped us out but I want you to know that you know, events like the one on Saturday is so important that we feel as a community that those funds are being helped and put in the right place because to allow not only the children to enjoy something like that, our first responders that went through that and are having a hard time reconnecting to the humanity part after seeing the horror. And, you know, and to, to know that they're out there really thinking this through to offer something so, you know, just so special in so many different ways. So I appreciate everyone out there. Thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you for that. So question, I know the, the question of tourists came up and that some of the bed and breakfasts are now renting to tourists thing. So let me ask this this way. Do you want tourists or don't want tourists? They're in the way or they, or you want them? We, we want them for Maui. Just it's <laughs> hard. It's hard having them in Lahaina. Got it. Um, real quick, my son slipped in the tub, cut his chin open, needed stitches. Our hospital is on the other side of the island. It took me an hour and a half to get over there just from everybody coming over. It's a traffic <laughs> we've never, ever had before because oh. there's only one way in, one way out. You know, we, we do need people here. We need the economy of Maui going. Lahaina just needs an extra second to to get back into it, you know, before everybody rushes in to see the devastation. Okay. So it's it's the, the tourists are coming not as they ordinary will, but to do a little bit of walking at what's going yes. on. Yes. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Rob, any final words you want for our listeners? Well, thank you again for honoring the commitment. Uh, I would love a, another opportunity to, for Miguel and I to uh, to come back and, and speak again to your listeners and to let them know the prayers are very helpful, as you heard from Miguel. I think, you know, also the financial support. We got a wonderful letter from a, a school in upstate New York uh, that said, and it was so beautiful, and the kids had given $150, and uh, it was just wonderful to get that, and they said, uh, you know, that they'd heard about it on the radio, which I assume was probably here. So, oh. um, and it was just a sweet, sweet letter. Um, and they they all wore Aloha shirts that day, uh, and and then for doing that, they got free dress if they brought in a donation. So, oh. and we've got a lot of schools that have done that. So that's just one idea that folks can do. But I think also um, you've heard Miguel say just knowing that folks out there have not forgotten them and are thinking and keeping them in their prayers means a lot. This hope, hope is, a, it springs eternal here. Yeah. Robin Tassel, Miguel Ceballos, thank you for joining us on Just Love and, you know, solidarity with what the Lahaina community is going through, rebuilding, 
the continued uh, difficulty of doing that. Thanks for taking the time to share with our listeners on Just Love. Thank you. Mahalo. Thank you. Aloha. And a very Aloha. blessed Christmas. Um, just love. Just love God. Just love your neighbor. Just love yourself. And our world will be more just and it will be more compassionate. We'll be back in just a moment on the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129. Now, let's get back to Just Love and your host, Monsignor Kevin Sullivan. Welcome back to Just Love. Just do it. Just love God. Just love your neighbor. Just love yourself. And our world will be more just and it will be more compassionate. This is the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129, and each week we come together to talk about what's going on in the world through the prism of our Catholic social teaching. A lot going on in the world. We just spoke to two people from uh, Hawaii who are recovering from the devastating fire that was there just a few months ago, and we spoke with the executive director of Catholic Charities there, and one of the people whose house was impacted by that fire. And they're still celebrating Christmas, but recognizing that it's a little bit more somber because 2,200 buildings were destroyed, and many of those were residential. And it's going to take years for those to be rebuilt and the temporary housing only lasts so long and a number of people are leaving the community longtime people who have been neighbors with each other member of the same community so it is a little bit kind of sad uh that that is um that is kind of uh going going on so um now we're gonna go we're not gonna kind of be uplifting in our next segment, because we're gonna go to uh, the regional director for Catholic Near East Welfare Association uh, in uh, Jerusalem, and gonna speak about what's going on in that part of the world and the response of, of um, Catholic Near East Welfare Association to that. So Joseph Hasboom, Thank you for joining us on Just Love. Greetings, Monsignor, and thank you for uh, hosting me. Well, um, and solidarity with you for the tremendous burden and work and mission that you are undertaking at the moment. Um, you are the regional director for the Jerusalem field office, correct? Yes, yes. I've um, I became the director in uh, 2017. Okay. And for our listeners, geographically at first, where does the Jerusalem office kind of provide services? I know it's more than just in Jerusalem. So give our listeners a little bit of extent about the work that is done out of your office. Our Jerusalem office uh, serves um, communities in Israel and uh, Palestine, including East Jerusalem and Gaza. Okay. And, um, and what type of services do you do? What type of work do you do in those areas? Uh, mainly, we uh, uh, partner with a network of local uh, church and church-related institutions uh, active in the fields of um, health, education, and social service. In addition, we support um, youth pastoral ministry and catechism programs with the local church, as well as programs that uh, uh, cater for the youth. Um, and I have been kind of blessed to see the work that Catholic Near East Welfare Association does, not in, in your area, but the work that was being done in Kurdistan, in, in Iraq, um, after the devastating kind of being driven out of the plains of Nineveh. So 
what you just said to me, I can relate to because I saw some of the excellent work that was going on. Um, Joseph, um, we see daily the devastation. We we saw a month, a few months ago, the reports and some of the videos of the violence, the massacre, the terror, the awful Hamas um, October 7th attack. And now we're hearing about the incredible humanitarian crisis going on in Gaza. Can you give our listeners a little bit of us your sense of what's going on in Gaza and, and what is Catholic Near East doing in, in that very, very uh, difficult uh, situation? Well, Monsignor, uh, Kinewa has been uh, involved in Gaza and working in Gaza since the 1980s. Um, we helped establish and um, uh, finance the work of the Middle East Near East Council of Churches. They have three mother and child clinics in Gaza in three areas. Uh, the only one uh, still uh, functioning today is in Rafah. They have uh, three uh, vocational training centers. And um, we assisted a number of institutions, including schools, um, parishes, um, YMCA, and other institutions. Um, our work intensified in Gaza following the 2009 war. Um, then we uh, started a strong relationship with Al-Ahli Arab Evangelical Hospital, the first and only Christian hospital in Gaza at the time. Today they are two. there are two, uh, another ophthalmic hospital of St. John. And um, of course, since 2009 until today, Gaza have seen four wars in addition to two moderate attacks. Um, so a lot of destruction. Uh, we have rehabilitated the Al-Ahli a number of times during this war, the, these years. We have rehabilitated the Rosary Sisters School three or four times already, um, in addition to other institutions. Actually, in, in September, this September, we started rehabilitating the entrance to the YMCA, which was the last piece missing uh, or that needed rehabilitation following the war in 2021. And then this war happened, and now we don't know the status of the YMCA. I'm sure a lot of damage. The Rosary Sister School lost a building, one of the buildings. You all heard about the tragic destruction by an Israeli airstrike of the um, Orthodox Church Committee at within the Orthodox Church compound where 17 people died on the spot, including the parents of our own projects coordinator in Gaza, Sami, uh, in addition to his six-month-old six um, niece. And um, the number of um, casualties increased as the aunt of Sami passed away after two months of suffering from the injuries she, she, um, she received during that blast. Um, in addition, uh, the uh, um, Arab Orthodox Cultural Center, the jewel, uh, in my opinion, the jewel of the Christian institutions in Gaza was destroyed by the Israelis. Thank God they called the director, our friend uh, at the uh, church compound, and they warned him to evacuate the uh, center where around 3,000 uh, people were uh, taking refuge. And uh, as soon as they evacuated, it was destroyed. Yeah. And so the situation is really tragic. Um, people um, are being killed and injured on a daily basis. Uh, the struggle is violent. Um, and uh, people are, um, are surrounded. They have been displaced in their own uh, uh, city. The Christian community took refuge in, the, in both churches, the Latin church, where there are 530 Christians and uh, other workers at the various institutions, including the um, 
um, Daughters of Charity who run a home for the handicapped people within the Latin Church compound. And around 330 Christians are taking refuge at the Orthodox Church. Um, during the past couple of weeks, we were not able to connect with them as the communications were uh, were um, either communication tire towers were destroyed or hampered by the Israelis. Uh, but uh, yesterday I was able to call them, uh, Rami at the Orthodox Church and our own Sami at the Latin convent. Uh, they are surrounded. They cannot go out because um, there is heavy um, combat surrounding the two convents. Thank God the communities are safe, but uh, it's not safe to go out. And so they cannot go to the nearby stores to see if there are fresh vegetables or other food uh, available. We're speaking with uh, Joseph Habun, who is the regional director of the Jerusalem field office about the humanitarian situation in Gaza. Um, now, you yourself, I assume, over the years have been to Gaza to visit those places. Am I correct? Yes, Monsignor. In fact, I started going to Gaza in 2012 in order to develop our intervention following the second war towards the end of 2011 and the beginning of 2012. And uh, it was then that we started a number of uh, initiatives for the youth. Um, and so since then, I've been visiting Gaza at least four times a year. And, and the work that, that was being done, and again, I, I ask, it seems to me from the way you describe it, was pretty effective in fulfilling the mission that it was aimed to do. Indeed. Um, since 2009, we started investing the Al-Ahli Hospital, which was at the time facing serious financial difficulties. And over the course of 10 years, I believe we helped it uh, reach a um, certain degree of stability, financial stability. This was done through multiple three-year uh, employment program for unemployed youth working at the hospital, uh, around 100 each year, from doctors and physicians down to uh, cleaners and kitchen staff with nurses and, uh, and, the, um, and the like. Uh, and this helped the hospital not only uh, build its capacity, but provide the health, uh, health uh, sector in Gaza with um, uh, highly trained and qualified uh, university graduates and uh, staff and support staff. In addition, of the, over the course of four years, we were able to implement uh, three phases of a green energy solar panel, uh, which enabled the hospital to run on 95% of green uh, cheap energy. I think, uh, I believe that that's why the hospital was the only uh, remaining hospital in the last three years, still uh, three weeks, still working because it was dependent on uh, solar, uh, solar uh, panels and um, green energy. Um, another example is the uh, Rosary Sister School, which uh, from 2009 till 2014, we helped it uh, develop from ninth grade to 12th grade, so mat matriculation, um, uh, uh, in addition to uh, some renovation, um, equipment, um, boards, uh, whiteboards, uh, as well as uh, desks and the like that were needed to maintain the operations of the school. Uh, we supported the YMCA with green energy as well. Uh, and a number of um, youth uh, programs, employment, uh, psychosocial support, uh, programs for the children. The last project that we were able to inaugurate along with Monsignor Peter Vacari uh, in 2022 was the uh, soccer uh, field uh, that needed rehabilitation. Uh, this was a way to support the YMCA not only to cater for their uh, clients, but also 
to uh, um, in, improve their sustainability by renting the playground to other uh, teams and sports um, clubs that would rent the the um, the um, the, the uh, field and it was really doing great i don't know how the uh, field will look like uh, today after the war uh, thanks to the um, Doty Family Foundation, in the year 2000, we uh, established a park for the children in one of the poorest uh, neighborhoods in Gaza, Al Shatek Refugee Camp. Recently, we heard that now it is all destroyed, unfortunately. Um, and uh, of course, we supported a, um, an employment program for the youth at the newly established. Uh, um, Arab cultural or Arab Orthodox cultural center, which was unfortunately destroyed. Um, in addition to supporting the pastoral activities of the church, so we had really a number of interventions over the course of fourteen years. In addition to our normal intervention with NECC, we're speaking with Joseph Harboon, who's the regional director for Catholic Near East Welfare Association of their Jerusalem field office. Let me focus you now, uh, again, from what I read in the media, given what is going on in Gaza now, is it fair to say that all of the, your activities there, those ones you've enumerated, um, are suspended? They, they can't actually operate in the current environment. Am I correct in that? Yes, unfortunately, Monsignor, everything is on hold. Uh, all of the institutions uh, closed, except for the Al-Ahli Arab Hospital, which uh, during the past uh, two to three weeks became the only operational hospital in the north of Gaza. It's in the center of the city of Gaza because unfortunately Israel targeted all of the other hospitals. In addition, um, of course, there are no supplies coming into Gaza. Israel is not permitting the Egyptians to let any uh, trucks uh, uh, to go into uh, through the Rafah uh, crossing, which is the only ex uh, entry point and exit point from Gaza to the world. And so uh, fuel that runs the generators at the hospitals, um, uh, they all run short and now they're not able to function. So they do operations without um, anesthesis. They do. They don't have electricity. It's a tragic situation. In addition, only the um, one of the three NECC mother and child clinics are active in uh, Rafah, providing uh, mostly psychosocial support, which is one of the programs that we are supporting uh, this year. So. Again, from what I read in the media, given the number of people who have been displaced, is it fair to say it's kind of chaos in Gaza at the moment? That's the right way to describe it. Uh, people are taking refuge in the streets, in hospitals, in schools. Uh, they have uh, uh, built tents from uh, bed sheets and bed covers. And uh, three days ago, it rained. It was dramatic uh, how all these uh, tents were, um, were flooded with water. Uh, the only good thing about it was that the, um, the um, civilians were able to gather some rainwater, at least to have potable water. Uh, you know that um, since I started going to Gaza, everyone was warning me not to drink the tap water in Gaza. And it, indeed, uh, when you wash your teeth uh, with, with the uh, tap water, you can feel it is salty. So they cannot uh, drink the uh, tap water. And now they don't have even that. And um, so it really is, as I mean, to use the phrase that people use it, it is a tremendous humanitarian crisis that we that that the world is is viewing in Gaza at the moment. Unfortunately, Monsignor, yes, 1.5 million people out of the 2.3 million people living in Gaza are currently displaced. Uh, some of the families, they didn't want to leave their homes because they didn't want to live again the experience of being 
refugees. Some of them became refugees in 1948 following the war and the division of Palestine right. into Israel and Palestine. And others were, were became refugees in 1967 when Israel occupied East Jerusalem and the rest of the West Bank. And now it's the first, the third time that they become refugees. One of the elderly women was interviewed by one of the local reporters. Um, she uh, she lived both wars, 1948 and 1967, and now she's living another uh, another time this displacement. Yeah. It's horrible. People don't have water, don't have electricity, are disconnected from the world. They don't have medicines. They don't have access to anything. Joseph uh, there's no place safe in Gaza. They were told by the Israelis, go, go south, it is safe. But even when they were um, ordered to go south, even the south were uh, always targeted, uh, whether it was Rafah or Al-Majazi or Khan Yunis or any area. So there is no, no place safe in Gaza, unfortunately. And as you, you mentioned at the moment, there is not any humanitarian aid coming in, it's all shut off? Unfortunately, um, very little uh, was able to come in, but it's it's not uh, enough for anything. According to uh, UN and other humanitarian aid, international humanitarian aid agencies, they say that Gaza needs 1,000 truckload every day in order to compensate for what is missing and hardly 20 or 30 come in every couple of days. All right. Yeah. Well, um, Joseph Harbuz Boone, thank you for the work that you are doing. Um, it is, I, I think what you, you've laid out very clearly is how devastating war is, how violence is, and it just escalates the humanitarian crisis uh, that 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 people have to deal with. So thank you for the work that you do. Thank you for the presence of Catholic Near East Welfare Association. Thank you, Monsignor. It was a pleasure being with you. Okay. Thank you. And, and probably we'll we'll speak to you again as things progress. And let's pray for the peace with justice as soon as soon as as possible. So thank you for your work. Thanks for being with us. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Okay. Just love, just love God, just love your neighbor, just love yourself. And our world will be more just and it will be more compassionate. We'll take a break on the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129. Just do it. Just love. Just check out Monsignor Kevin Sullivan, who's here right now. Take it away, Monsignor. Welcome back to Just Love. Just do it. Just love God. Just love your neighbor. Just love yourself. And our world will be more just and it will be more compassionate. We look at what's going on in the world. It's good points. It's tragic points. And we see what can we do to make the world more compassionate, to make it more just. We've spoken today with a lot of sad situations, the most devastating at the moment appears to be in Gaza, where probably three quarters of the population has been displaced. And it was a fairly crowded place. So if you displace two thirds or three quarters of the population, in a small place, and they can't go to other countries. They can't cross the border. Um, it is just there. What was crowded is also continues to be very, very crowded. You know, as we are at Christmas and Christmas Eve, it is a reminder that, boy, that beginning of Luke's gospel, when it says, when the world was at peace, well, 2,000 years later, we need the Prince of Peace to bring peace, whether it be in the Middle East, particularly now Gaza, but also in northern Israel, Lebanon, Syria, 
it is just a very difficult situation. We think about Ukraine, Africa, all of those places. And it can be somewhat discouraging when we think about all of those. And yet, we believe that Jesus, in his cross, has conquered sin and death and has risen to new life. At times, it's not all that easy to appropriate that in light of what's going on. But there is the opportunity for us to understand the goodness of Jesus and to recognize in very real ways that that is going on, very real ways that there is goodness in the world and people are supportive of each other in the way that they um, do, uh, do express solidarity. So I would like to wish to all of our listeners a very, very blessed Christmas and to bring Bethlehem's star and its light into the lives of those around you. And when we do that, it's not being Pollyannish to say that many times that light is reflected back to us. And so the goodness that we give to others often does come back to us. So thank you for listening. Thank you for being with us on Just Love. A blessed and a holy Christmas to all. Channel, Sirius XM 129.